Blog Talk Radio. Hello. I'm here, and our guest, Fred, you're here, too. Me, see. Um, Brett seems to not be here. That's uh, Blog Check Radio is a service that we use for... You. No. Um, that we use for doing the podcast. And every now and then something weird would ha- happen, but this is pretty weird. Um... I am not sure if my end of the conversation and yours is the part that is being picked up. Uh, but in case it is, uh, <laughs> hello everybody and welcome to Blog um, the Graphic Policy Radio. This is Ilana and my co-host Brett. I'm sure will be with us in a moment. And we are very lucky to have a special guest with us today. Fred, I realized I don't know how to pronounce your last name, and I probably should have checked <laughs> that with you. That's all right. It. it if we were in Amsterdam, it would be Van Lenta, but it got El- uh, Ellis Islandized into Van Lente, is how my family's always pronounced it. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, Fred is a comics writer who's working with Valiant and Dark Horse on a number of really neat titles. Um, the word just came in that he is going to be taking over the main Conan title for Dark Horse in a few issues, it sounds like, right? Yeah, I guess Brian just turned in his last issue, and I just turned in my first one, so we'll be syncing up shortly. Cool. I really enjoyed Brian's run. Um, I Me too. Been, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely different from the ones we had before. Um, are you going to be picking up the story from where he left off, or is this going to be a new story arc? Uh, both, yeah. I'm going to be picking up the story from where he left off, but it's going to be... Um, you know, as as most Conan fans probably know, Brian has sort of freely adapted uh, one of the best and most famous of Robert E. Howard's Conan stories, Queen of the Black Coast, into two years' worth of comics, which is appropriate since the story actually takes place during two years of Conan's life. Um, the Conan Barbarian uh, series has always taken as its basis this chronology that a particular Howard scholar came up with for Conan's life called the Dark Storm Chronology. Yeah, and yep. uh, and the next story in that is the story I'm doing. Uh, it was actually an untitled fragment by Howard. It was finished in the 60s after his death and called The Snout in the Dark, which I do not like as a title. <laughs> 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 I think that if you're naming your adventure stories after snouts, you've already you've, you've taken a wrong turn somewhere. Uh, but uh, <laughs> my book, uh, my first arc, my first six issues will be known collectively as The Witch Hunter of Cush. Ah, well, now we know what, where this will be happening um, in the yes. Conan-verse. Do you guys call it the conan or Do you say that the world is Hyperborea, or how do you guys usually talk about that world I outbreak? Th- I think the proper nerd term is the Hyborian Age. Hyborian Age, it's in the Hyborian Age. Um, well, that's really interesting. I, you know, I, Kush is actually the Hebrew uh, word for Ethiopia. Right. So, I had always sort of taken it to mean that in reading Conan books as well. Um, yeah, I mean, the um, the city where this fragment takes place is Shumbala, which, and I, you know, I, I was not a huge Conan guy before I started um, working on it. You know, my miniseries, Conan the People of Like Circle, just came out uh, with mm-hmm. the wonderful Ariel Olivetti painting it. Uh, and that was sort of my introduction to the Conan's world. I really had no idea that Howard's stuff all had real-life analogs. Um, and you're very close ah. about Ethiopia. The city of Shambhala, as you described it, is clearly supposed to be Moro, which is the capital of Nubia, south of Egypt, which is in what is now Sudan. Ah, neighbors, yeah. Yes. So uh, I've been doing a lot of research on that region, um, a lot of research into the witchcraft and sorcery of that area because the title Witch Hunter of Kush implies there is a uh, terror besetting Shumbala. There is an evil 
witch who may be male or female uh, in this realm, uh, terrorizing the people of spells and monsters and everything else. And um, Conan sort of gets caught up into this witch hunting hysteria. At the same time, he has to deal with, I, I think anyone would agree, the worst thing that's ever happened to him. Not to give spoilers to the end of Queen of the Black Coast. The story that was published in 1934, but, you know. Mm-hmm. But, that's really uh, it, fitting. Yeah. It doesn't end well. Let's just put it that way. Gotcha. It, the, whole, the whole run that we've had with Brian has had a very strong sense of foreboding and dread for me as I've been reading it, so I'm right. not too surprised to hear that that's what's next. Um, you know, it's, been, it's early in Conan's career of adventuring, comparatively, yes. uh, so to speak. So this is sort of going them from there next. Um, do you... Like, See, you it's funny you say that, it's totally true, but like literally Dark Horse sent me all of the graphic, all of the trade paperbacks of their entire run, and you're talking about oh. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 15 trade paperbacks, and the last year of Brian's run has not been collected yet. So it's 17 volumes of comics. But you're so right. Yeah. You, still, they scratch the surface. We're, we're maybe halfway through. That's really incredible. I mean, you know, the, the character is such a huge fandom, and I found that getting folks in... I, I personally, I've tried reading this, the, the stories themselves uh, in books. Uh, my, right. Oh, my gosh, my brand-new husband, we just got married Saturday, uh, is a huge Conan fan, and I've, I, I've definitely found Dark Horse comics, be, and the classic ones, actually, from back in the day, too, to be uh, my my best entry point into yeah into into the world. No, I totally agree, and I love Brian's run. I love I love Kurt Busiek's run that he with Carrie Nord. That was the mm-hmm. very early Conan stuff that they started out with. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I guess if anyone hears this interview, all Conan fans sending me hate mail, but I mean, you know, uh, Howard was a terrific pro stylist, and he was obviously hugely imaginative. But don't forget, I mean, a guy like him writing out of the middle of nowhere in Texas in the Depression. He was paid by the word. So you have some very excellent Conan stories like Queen of the, Bla- uh, the Black Coast and People of the Black Circle and Hour of the Phoenix. Or is it Hour of the Dragon? Anyway, I just, yeah. t- yeah. just totally ruined my cred with the fans right there. But, uh, but, you know, <laughs> but you also have a lot of like, you know, there's a slave girl. She's captured by monsters. Conan has to kill them. You know, there's a lot of sort of similar motifs that crop in and out of the stories quite a bit. So, you know... There's definitely room, particularly, you know, this Witch Hunter of Cush snout in the dark story is literally a page and a half outline that Howard wrote and maybe only finished like six chapters, like a third or half of the story. So it's fun because I have kind of like how Brian has that nice two-year gap or whatever it is in Queen of the Black Coast where he can riff a bit. I certainly have room to flesh out the world and flesh out the characters quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, just so you know, Brett is now back with us. Yay, yeah, yay. sorry about that. So it sounds like, and it sounds like we've been successfully. Of course, I have issues. <laughs> yeah, it sounds uh, like we've been successfully airing everything so far. So our uh, conversation has not been for naught. Um, I was going to say I'm really interested in that you've been doing some research into the mythology of that region in the actual world. Um, yes. Did you have a sense of whether the, the story and the art is going to be rooted in the visual assumptions of it taking place? in northern Africa, and is that going to be seen in how the people look and the architecture of the spaces? You know, it's funny. I mean, it seems like Howard read a lot of, like, 1920s world book encyclopedias, and where he got a lot of that stuff from. So, oh, yeah. I mean, Monto. you know, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's super impressive. I was certainly blown away doing People of Black Circle on sale now, uh, because that's set in India and Pakistan and Afghanistan, and as I was researching all those actual regions, I was sort of stunned at how much... I mean, there's a fort that he describes that Conan goes to to kidnap this uh, princess from that's in what's now northern Pakistan, which was not even its own country when Howard was alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he describes it word for word. Like, I found a photo of this actual place that was described in the story. It just blew me away. Um, but, yeah, um, the, the, like Kush and all those sort of Hiberian black kingdoms, the world that I'm creating is definitely a mishmash of uh, various um, African nations, primarily the Sudan, and, uh, well, more technically, Nubia, which is, um, this is a bit of an archaeology nerd tangent. Can we do that? Uh, Do it, yeah. uh, Moreau in Sudan, what what sort of typifies that is that when the Nubians built pyramids, they actually built 
of like sort of miniature pyramids, like you know how the Egyptian pyramids were really big, the Nubians built more pyramids, but they were more sort of mausoleum size. They were sort of, you're definitely going to see those showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I've grabbed parts of you know the Middle East uh, stuff influenced by Yemen. There are these ancient, beautiful skyscrapers from the 12th century or something like that in Yemen that are going to be appearing. Um, the the witchcraft and the the architecture of the uh, Gullah, which are the, sort of the black Kushians as opposed to the Chaga, who are the Stygian, i.e. Egyptian descended. Yeah. Cushions. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, wow, we really went down the rabbit hole here, but it's fun. It's fun to talk about. Um. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, so for me, and I, I, you know, I don't know what the art is going to look like for the for the new series moving forward, but I would really love. I love and think it's important to have a wider representation of like races and people from around the world sure. in fantasy comics. And I'm really hoping that this is an opportunity to see some increased racial diversity. Well, and that's what blew me away about the Howard stuff that was written in, in you know, I mean, let's be totally honest, you know, the, you know, Howard was writing when the Ku Klux Klan in the United States was, was at the height of its its popularity. Yeah. Mainstream organization back then. Uh, exactly. Well. And so, but he, you know, but he was talking, but he was writing about Indians. He was writing about Afghans. He was writing about Africans. He was writing about Egyptians. Not necessarily in the, the most sensitive of lights, but at least they were there. They were not erased yes, they, yes. from the genre. They were there. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at my script to get the exact name of the exact African region, the color based on. Um, but uh, um, you know, I, I read uh, I read the first issue of um, the, with the, uh, the Black Circle and really enjoyed it. It's exciting. Oh, thank you. Dynamic. Want to know what's happening next? The art is really gorgeous, but my beef with it is everybody looks white, and I'm like, dude, this is India. Why does everybody look so white? Yeah, yeah, I know. I I know. You're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind I, of I, I weird. The, you know, and I don't. <laughs> you know, and uh, Ariel, God bless him, is is Argentinian and is not going to hear this because he doesn't say in English. But but I, I did specify in the script and the problem was I got the I got the colors too late to say, Hey these people well, are really that, shows you how much the these people are slightly paler than I was expecting. Sorry? Yeah, no, really. I mean, the thing is, like, it really shows you that the default assumption that folks have is everyone is white, even when all of the context clues for this location are that it's India, from the character names to the building descriptions, you know, I mean, really, from yeah, the character well, names to the building descriptions. You know, and, uh, you know, Ariel, uh, Ariel's a great artist, and I think he has the best intentions, but I think, like, a lot of people, and I'm just going to throw this out there, I don't know if this is the case, but I would assume that he's just influenced by other comics, you know. Like, a lot yeah. of... A lot of comics folks just look at other comics or are very influenced by other comics and sort of look at them and go, okay. But, you know, unfortunately, the simple fact of the matter is, is I can't get 22 pages of color and say, hey, recolor all the characters except for Conan. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, this is yeah. just not something that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so no. it was yeah. disappointing, but uh, there you have it. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I One, think it's important for us to sort of talk about that and acknowledge it. And I think it's something that we have to be really pre- preemptive about because there's like, these assumptions that people have. Like, the default is white, the default is male, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. we have to be very specific. Like, no, this is actually what I'm talking about, and this is what I need. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, art is gorgeous. And I'm super snobby about comics art. I don't like the vast majority of what's out there, which I tend to not blame on the artists. I tend to blame it on the deadlines, you know. Um but, sure. you know, this, the art on that book is clearly something that was done in a very planned and styled and art, and his craft work is very strong. I mean, and he really knows yeah. what he's doing. The painting is just lovely, lovely, but I just was really sad to see all the white people. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, I mean, I wish I could um, disagree with you, but okay. I can't. Well, I, I <laughs> You're right. Thank you for speaking with that. So, um, <laughs> you are 100% so. correct. The okay, so I'm basing the Gullah on the uh, Samba people who come from what is now Benin. In the 19th century and early 20th century were called Dahomey. So I'm trying to pick regions for everybody to be from. And let's face it, Howard's Africa is much smaller than the actual Africa. So I feel justified in cramming different peoples together who would not necessarily otherwise be be all that geographically located. But that's true. uh, true. It's a super. It's super fun. I'm a huge research junkie, and um, I'm sort of fascinated by people and history and world culture. And so, you know, I was able to do that with Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, in, in people the Black Circle, and now I'm able to do it with uh, North and Central Africa in, in 
and Witch Hunter of Cush, and it's super, super exciting. That's great, and I'm you know knocking on wood that we get some folks who look like they're from. Well, I was going to say, it's, it's, it's hard to color. I, well, okay, I've already seen the character designs. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Yay! It will, be, it will be a very different situation. You can't tell because it's radio, but I'm waving my hands over my head in an excited fashion. Um, so that's really great. I'm really excited to hear that. Um, and, I, and I like that someone who's such a researcher on archaeology and, and history is, is working on this comic. That's a really neat, that's a really neat you know, way to have it. It, it's fun, and I worked for Marvel for many years, and obviously Marvel has its its own internal mythology and, and chronology and everything else. And, and to me, you know, if you get these gigs and you're writing these characters, it's just cheating to not do the research. And it's, it's no, you know, it's no fun. You're not playing by the rules. I was a big uh, D&D guy, right? I was a big role-playing game guy when I was younger. You can't play by the rules. If you don't play by the rules, you know. What's impressive isn't to break the rules so much as it is to blow people's minds within the confines of the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I know Brett always asks folks, and we jumped ahead because I was really excited to talk about Conan. Um, you know, how did folks start get? I, I, I'm about to steal your questions, uh, Brett. It's quite um, okay. How did you start <laughs> writing in comics? And yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I was a big comics nerd, um, was a big role playing game nerd, big science fiction fantasy nerd, and I knew I always wanted to be a writer, but I, I sort of didn't know what kind of writing I wanted to do. And um, I went to school to be a screenwriter at Syracuse. And, um, pardon me, uh, I, uh, but I ended up hanging out with the comics club, you know, to meet girls. Not really. Totally. Not Only really. the best ones, though. I was about exactly. to call you out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I ended up hanging out with all the guys who were studying to be comics artists. And, mm. uh, you know, I started writing for them. They would produce their own comic. And just I sort of, sort of fell in love with the immediacy with which my ideas were sort of brought to visual fruition. And I was lucky. Uh, Steve Ellis, a good buddy of mine, was, got uh, work at Marvel in D.C. right really even before he graduated, and I ended up moving to New York with those guys to break in the comics industry. And a mere ten years later, I did it. <laughs> I'm a ten-year overnight success. Yeah. Uh, what happened was is that Steve and I did a couple of uh, indie comics one of which was called The Silencers that was put up at this small company in Moonstone, uh, named Moonstone out in Chicago. And, um, and that got the attention of Marvel, and Marvel offered me work, and they couldn't get rid of me. And finally I ended up helping out a guy named Greg Pack in a series called Incredible Hercules. And that mm-hmm. series kind of is what put me on the map and, and made me the success cool. I am today. Yeah, I actually have not read that series, but I've heard really great things about it, so I'm, I'm well, not surprised that that is your attraction. I know, I should probably <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to acknowledge that now. In all honesty, I, 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 I think was, you dig yeah. it. Brett was just telling me, uh, you actually created the new Power Man, who I, I've only I did. read... I read him in the new Mighty Avengers book, right. and I love, love what's going on there. So, um, how did that character come to be? Um... Well, they were doing the Sh- the Shadowland miniseries and, and the event, and as often happens with events, they want to spin stuff out of that. And so uh, an editor called me and asked me if they, they decided that they wanted to sort of leave Luke Cage being Luke Cage but have a new Power Man. Mm-hmm. And in Matt and Ed's Immortal Iron Fist book, they had uh, Iron Fist started a dojo, and so they, they had the idea... They wanted to have a. Initially, the idea was they wanted to have like an eight or nine or ten year old. It's Power Man. It's like I'm Power Man and punching stuff and and that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, that I'm not quite 100 percent sure I'm into. And so I sort of pitched them something else, and we went back and forth, and finally we ended up with with uh, Victor Alvarez, the new Power Man, which was super exciting. And uh, really, what was sort of the key there was the terrific uh, Turkish artist uh, Mahmoud Asrar, who is doing Incredible Hulk right now, Indestructible Hulk right now designed him, and really I took a lot of inspiration. So I sent him like a paragraph description of what Victor was like and what his powers were like, and then Mahmoud just kind of took it and ran with it, and it was freaking amazing. And it was a super, super fun creation, and that's something I'm very proud of. I was also very uh, amused and, and proud to see that they stole Mahmoud's character design for Luke Cage in the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, which was highly amusing. Yes. Oh, that's 
That's right. That is how that timeline works, huh? Yeah. Ultimate Spider-Man Machine. I, I brought. That's one of the things where I watch and I say to myself, if I was a kid, I would really like this. But it's not a cartoon that quite translates into. Yeah, I, I, I'm doing some amazing Spider-Man stuff in the games arena, and I, I ch- sort of checked it out. And, yeah, it, it seems really well done. But not, Yeah, yeah, I'm know, almost like wishing. I'm like, oh, I wish they had this when I was a kid, because I would be totally into the fiction when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, it did we, not fill the void. I, in, sorry? Just, well, just to date myself, I, I grew up on uh, Amazing Spider, uh, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, which they only made 13 episodes of, so it was kind of like uh, yeah. water dripping from a broken faucet, you know, where you were like... Is it a new episode? No, it took about a year to figure out. They're not making any more new episodes. <laughs> you should just give up waiting for one to show up. See, I, I, well, I myself yeah. was the one that uh, remember watching the original X-Men, not the animated series, but the one episode they made. Sure. And wondering sure. if there ever will be another episode. And every time yeah, yeah, it comes yeah. on, being like, oh, it's going to be a new one. Oh, it's the same thing. Where Iceman, it's like Iceman and Firestorm, and Juggernaut's the bad guy in that one, right? I think, and like, I just remember Kate Pride being in it, and... Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I know it because Marvel has remixed all of those, and they're Marvel mashups, which are like... Oh, is that right? They re- yeah, they redub um, old cheesy Marvel cartoons with comedians, and they're very funny, actually, um, and they show those as interspersals in uh, their cartoon shows, for those who don't know. It's actually pretty much worth taping. Mm-hmm all the Marvel cartoons now to watch the Marvel mashup bits. Cause they're gotcha. Really funny. You just forward through the actual um, cartoon and watch the interstitial. But, yeah, I was just going to say again, like, I really think that the concept you have for Power Man as you know, someone who draws chi from the city itself is totally right. the kind of superhero power character I would want to have, so I'm really excited right? to see someone writing about him. Um, yeah. I actually have a question about that. When, I mean, since you're, you're obviously not writing the, you know, anything else with them, you know, when you were done, did you kind of lay out of like where you thought the character could go, or is it more like we came up with this design? You wrote, you know, a couple series with him, and then you know whatever happens happens. Well, you know, uh, here would be my analogy: is that when you're working for a big corporate entity, whether it's a comic book company or anything else, you kind of have to treat your creations like goldfish you bring home, like you win at the state fair, <laughs> and you bring it home. And you never know where you're going to walk in the room, and the fish is dead, and it's floating up on the top of the ball. So you, so you just have to sort of be happy with the time you have with the goldfish. Because at any moment, the goldfish can be taken from you. <laughs> without warning. That is a great metaphor. Yeah. Uh, and so um, the short answer is, is by, well, by the time I had created Vic, I was fairly far along in my... Um, in my Marvel, I mean, you gotta understand the way I started at Marvel was they were like, "We're gonna give you the Scorpion." I'm like, "Oh, really? Okay, cool." Except she's a teenage female Shield agent. Okay, yeah. what? All right, you know. And I did my best to make her a kick-ass, terrific character, and you know, it sold what it sold, and and people seemed to dig it. But you know, nothing ever really happened with that, and and you know, I we, I, we get assignments like we want you to do a, mil- a Wolverine ongoing. Oh, awesome. And it's a kid's book. What? You do a Wolverine kid's book? His main power is that he stabs people. How is this going to be a kid's book? <laughs> well, he can't stab anybody. Well, thanks. Oh, so God. I, so I came up with the idea that we paired. So the way that I sort of you know, fought my way out of that paper bag was I paired him with Kitty Pride. And so really Kitty was the main... Right. The gag of the series was Wolverine was trying to train Kitty Pride, who, you know, was not listening to anything he said, and so really it was this mismatched buddy comedy with Kitty really, in my opinion, being the star of the book, and Wolverine is grouchy uncle, you know. <laughs> he had the Archie okay. Bunker role. Uh, so by the time Power Man sort of rolled around, you know, I did my best, and uh, the character was certainly very well-received, but, you know, I mean, at a certain point you've got to realize that Carmilla Black, the female scorpion, is never going to dis- displace Matt Gargan. You know, really, you're gonna, people are going to hear Power Man, they're going to hear Luke Cage. So, you know, it's great to try sort of double IP like that, but mm. you accept after a while the fact that, you know, at some point Bucky's going to die or appear to die, and Steve Rogers will be Captain America again. And right. that's just. 
that's just the way the world works because the most pop, the most well-known character is always going to sort of resume that role, and that's why, you know, you know, it was problematic when a certain company was sort of casting a lot of its character, its mainstream characters as female or uh, non-white. In other words, new versions of previous characters because you just knew those characters were going to get killed off, so the OG yeah. versions would come back and, and take their place. So, yep. you know, it, I mean, it, there's a legacy yeah. of that. You know. Yeah. That is definitely true. I mean, that's really why, like, my, my argument is like, if you're going to invent a new character, there's literally no reason that you should be inventing a white male character at time. There's, like, tons of great ones to work from. <laughs> there's a lack of representation amongst, you know, and, and because of the thing where you're going to have, like, oh, this is just a temporary replacement for character X, and then yeah, die or whatever. But, you know, I, so if you're going to have a couple of whole new character, you've got to do something different. It's got to not just be another white dude, because we're not going to lose the white dudes of pure. Yeah, and and you know, I, I mean, I think there are a couple exceptions to that. I mean, but for the most part, yeah, fandom and the publishers, because that's where the get is, they're always going to return to those baseline versions of the characters. I mean, yeah. you know, Brian Bendis did a great job of sort of, of sort of separating Luke Cage from the Paramount identity altogether. So, I mean, Vic, I certainly have higher hopes for than say Scorpion or some of these other characters that you know. Mm-hmm. We're trying to grab the legacy from 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 previous versions. Yeah, I mean Dick Grayson can only be Batman for so long because yeah. the get in the, the sales bump you're going to get from bringing back Bruce Wayne. Sorry, Dick. <laughs> That's why you did it in the first place, anyway. So. Exactly, Dick. We have your we had your green speedo waiting for you right here. Uh-huh. Still in your size, you can just get right back. In. Uh, no, at least he's nightmare, not you know. That's true. He's nightmare. I mean, actually, we might be on our way to having a female Robin again. Yes, again. Sure. Again, flush, finally. So, the uh, ninth uh, Robin, like the fourth, will be female. <laughs> so weird. So it seems oh, like so a, weird. A, okay. Well, I, so I, I kind of got a good question that spins off of that. So, I, I mean, you're doing Brain Boy as well for Dark Horse, which is another sure. comic that was based off of something from the 60s. Right. Um, you know, how did that come about? Because, I mean, there's a lot of... No, so the last couple of years, it's been very popular bringing back these old-school pulp heroes um, right. for back in the day. And, of course, your take's very a modern take of the character, and I have no idea about the old stuff. Um, right, so how no, did you nor did I. That? Nor <laughs> does anyone. I'm, I met exactly one person who said, oh, I love that, that character back in the day. That person's name is Walt Simonson. And I was like, Walt, <laughs> I am so happy <laughs> that, that another human, and I'm not surprised it was you, Said, oh, I read that back in 1962. Um, That's awesome. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I never heard of this character, and you have to get up pretty early in the morning to out nerd me. And I was like, do you want to write Brain Boy? I was like, uh, sure. What's Brain Boy? And uh, Brain Boy is a fascinating little artifact, particularly in the um, context of this diversity ta- uh, conversation we've been having all along, which is that um, it's a publisher, Dell Comics. Um, that was the biggest comic book company of the early part of the existence of comics because they had, yes, the Disney license. So they published Walt Disney's Comics and Stories, which is the highest circulating comic of all time. Um, But they lost the license in the late 50s, early 60s to Gold Key, which may or may not be a publisher we're also going to be discussing later in the conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. Yep, that's uh, (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. And... um, uh, so they sort of made a, they were they, you know Dell publishes a lot of things they published they're still around they published magazines they published, they published books but they they thought maybe we'll try to keep this, the the comics al- line alive and so I guess Marvel had just sort of started uh, firing on all cylinders and so they um, they come up, they came with a bunch of, of titles one of which was Brain Boy which is sort of a merging of psychic powers with sort of James Bond superheroics. And so uh, in the series, they said he was an agent of the Secret Service, which, you know, all due respect to my predecessors, seems sort of like lazy writing. They just, you know, he was a generic spy who went around doing James Bond things. They said he was a member of the Secret Service. What I thought was interesting was to research the actual Secret Service, and because it made sense to me that if we were in a world where psychic powers were given, you would have psychic assassins, and therefore... The Secret Service and various bodyguard agencies would want psychic agents to defend against those psychic mm-hmm. assassins. And that's sort of where I sort of came from with Brain Boy. 
Um, Dark Horse wanted him associated with Albright Industries, which is a company from Captain Midnight, another one of their superhero titles. So they, they said, well, they, they raised him. Uh, and so I sort of like the idea, because you always have this cliche of, like, the the super soldier or the cyborg or the psychic, whoever it is, you know, turning against the people who created him, you know. And yeah. so part of the idea with Brain Boy and the gag I said on Twitter is it really should be called Psychic Asshole, uh, is that he, uh, he, yeah. he, he's been told his whole life that he's taught shit and he believes it, you know. So he's been told he's been a special, you know, snowflake. They They give him all the cars and video games he wants. And so he just, you know... He loves being a tool of the oppressors, you know, and so the, the fun part of the series is how do you take a person like that and sort of get them from point A, which is being kind of a selfish douchebag mercenary, to point B, which is an actual hero. And so that, to me, is the fun journey that we're, we're on right now with the character in the series. And it's That's great you said that. Here. I, I, yeah. I was going to say, the, so the first issue, couple issues that have been out, like, that's the thing I'm saying is, like, I don't really like him yet like it's, it's good I, I really like the comics but I'm sitting there I was like yeah he's one of those main characters where you're like eh, he's kind of a dick and there's something about him that rubs me the wrong way so sure hear you say that makes me really, I'm not off of that yeah, yeah, yeah no, totally. definitely and, and, and uh, yeah the, the early comparison was to house the house yeah, MD yeah. the Fox show sort of the idea of it being that kind of kind of a dickish hero, basically, is sort of what I was going for. And I already see where one of the challenges today might be coming from the uh, the woman we, he meets at the protest. Right, exactly. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, oh, I and, that, and, that, and she is from the original series, and that's something I forgot to mention, vis-a-vis yeah. the diversity, is the curious thing about Dell was that Dell was one of two American publishers that never agreed to join the Comics Code because they were Disney's publisher and they claimed they had a stricter um, in-house code than the um, uh, than the than the actual code itself. And so in, in the Brain Boy 60s comic, he had a girlfriend of color. Nice. Which, which I don't think you would ever see in a code comic. So I sort of tried to retain that. I changed her name because... I write another comic about a cloistered blonde kid who has a, uh, <laughs> a girlfriend of color whose name is Maria, as it was in the, in the Brain Boy comic. So I changed Maria's name to Louisa huh. in Brain Boy just so I wouldn't appear to be totally... That's really funny. You know, I didn't even... Dealing from the same <laughs> deck. <laughs> when you said blonde, I'm sitting there, I was like, Obadiah? And then you're just Maria, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm yeah, right on Obadiah. that. Yeah, Obadiah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I mean, the, the, you're, clearly you're kind of infusing a little bit of politics into it. You've got this uh, dictator from a, a third world, and uh, there's a lot to deal with, um, you know, government conspiracies and and you know, CIA type stuff. I mean, like, do you have free reign to throw in all that stuff? Because I mean, there's something that I know we kind of want to talk about in uh, later on sure. with uh, something that you've done. But is that coming from you? I mean, do you just going off with that and having fun with it well, or yeah i mean recorda is a villain was the main villain of the original brain boy series oh, okay and he was a south american dictator he was not quite as hugo chavez as i'm making him out to be in the series chavez actually died in the middle of me writing this and so i was like should i change this I'm, like, no, I'm, not gonna. I'm, just, I'm just gonna do it <laughs> uh and uh yeah. uh but, uh, yeah, Recorda, believe it or not, is also from the, like Louisa, is from the original series. Um, in oh. fact, I did a Dark Horse Presents thing, and I'm working on the sequel right now, and, um, yeah, the most stuff in the original Dell series is in this sort of three-issue bit. Okay. Recorda uses less robots in this version than he did in the original 60s version. People loved robots in the 60s. Threw them everywhere. I'm I'm fascinated now thinking about the 60s version too. I'm going to have to look up some of the art because it sounds like it might be fantastic. It's it's interesting. The Dark Horse came out, sent me the hardback. They did an archive version of it, and it's it's interesting. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy 60s stuff. The first issue was drawn by Gil Kane, who's one of my all-time favorites, Uh, and uh, it was written by Herb Castle. And so there's an important character in the in the series called Castle Kane, and that's not. 
obviously coincidental. So, but I, mean, I, you, I wouldn't go, you know, well, you should pick it up, it's fun. <laughs> with the, uh, you, I mean, you hinted that there, there's a slight tie with the Captain Midnight, and, you know, I, I can easily see Dark Horse dealing with, like, the bigger, their superhero line kind of eventually coming together, like they've done in the past. Um but you also deal with that sort of stuff. You know, you 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 write on GI Joe, which has tie-in books. You write sure. uh, Archer and Armstrong, and, and Valiant is is kind of bringing that universe together. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, now you have Conan, which is a whole bunch of writers all kind of doing their things, but in the same shared universe. You know, how is it different collaborating on those different things with different people who are kind of in the same wheelhouse? You know, sandbox. It's super fun. Um, you know, with Dark Horse are pretty much the the editors. What, what's nice about Dark Horse is that they sort of give you. We would like to see you know, and they give you two or three bullet points. And however you incorporate those into your story is fine. Um, Valiant is a little bit different. We where we have summits like Marvel and DC do. It's a much sort of tightly controlled universe. Archer Armstrong is so weird. It's kind of been off in its own corner for a long time. But now, very shortly, you're going to start seeing. Um, it integrated a lot more with the with the rest of the universe. Um, Conan, really, with Conan, there's only two books: King Conan, which is Conan much further on in his life, and Conan the Barbarian, which I'm just sort of taking. You know, Brian's handing me the torch, and I'm kind of running with it. So that's more of my own thing. Plus, well, I have a dead guy as my co-writer, so <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> different. I'm not really necessarily used to that. Uh, but uh, but I am taking that that relationship very seriously, even though I, I, it's oh. very one sided on my part. Um, uh, but yeah, it's all it's all sort of very different, you know. And it's cool. It's cool to be. It, it's it's these are all sort of very close knit groups and, and associations, and it's fun to. I'm just having a really good time, you know, and nothing is really preventing me from doing what I want to do. I mean, I guess GI Joe, which I'm coming off of shortly. You know, that was sort of a, a more unusual thing because there were sort of more restrictions sort of put on there, like like I couldn't use Snake Eyes because he was dead, and I couldn't use Scarlet because she has her own book, and and uh, the the that was sort of an odd situation for me because I was not really familiar with G.I. Joe beyond, like, what I had seen as a kid in the 80s, so there was a certain learning curve for me because they completely rebooted all the relationships. Like, I just took... Destro and Baroness being lovers is kind of a given, but apparently they had, that hadn't happened yet. And um, the IDW universe, I was like, fuck it, I'm putting them together then. <laughs> actually, that's actually probably answers a question I've had. Is I noticed yours seems to have more of a tone from like the, the toy line than yeah. the other ones, which are a bit more serious, and like the previous volume, which was very like real-world serious type stuff. I yeah, mean, is, yeah. is that because basically that's what you knew of it? Yes, and I just, you know, there are some, there are some things I just can't deal with injecting too much reality into, and I definitely think G.I. Joe is one of them, just because they're fighting guys with snake helmets and guys with metal heads, and, like, they have names like Shipwreck and, (laughs) you know, Dial Tone, and it's just like... Really, we're gonna. This is Steel Team Six. Seriously, like well, this is this is this is where we want to go with this. I just, it, to me, if you can't have fun on a comic about a toy line, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Uh, and so I do find, you know, some folks, kind of the military fetishists out there, really want it to be kind of this real world serious thing. And uh, I get that, but I'm not your guy <laughs> for that. You know, <laughs> you do not want me to do that because I will just, you know. I'll be like, let's have the guy who can control crocodiles with his mind. That's awesome, you know. I don't want that has to do with, you know, with naval procedures, but screw it, crocodiles, let's do it, you know. Uh, my childhood memories of watching G.I. Joe were very much my dad making fun of my brother and myself. Right. Those guys can't even shoot straight. Look, they keep missing. Right, right, right. It's like my dad, my dad, when I was, because he was a huge naval guy, although he was in the Army, go figure that out, he, uh, he hated Star Trek, the original Star Trek. 
because Kirk would always beam down with the rest of the crew to investigate, you know, the unexplored planet, and he'd be like, that's nonsense. The captain would never go. Right, right. That's, not, right. that's terrible, Millard. What kind of what kind of bullshit Starfleet procedure is this? Send, yeah, send the most important officers to go explore the, you know, a bunch of guys with, guys with red shirts to explore the totally hostile alien planet that no one's ever been to before. So with the G.I. Joe, there's, I mean, there's another character that you kind of injected into that lore with, in that universe with Hashtag, who yeah. was like an embedded journalist blogger, um, yeah. you know, came, came off that whole craze that seemed to last like three months in the actual military world. Um, you know, who actually came up with that idea? Was that something that Hasbro came to oh, you? Oh, that was all me. That was all me from the ground up, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just thought, you know, I wanted the Joes to deal with more things that the actual military has to deal with, like public relations, like the media. Because before that, the, the premise of the, re, the IDWB reboot of G.I. Joe was that they, they were all excellent soldiers who see, appeared to have uh, died in combat, and so they were all yeah. pulled to this sort of super-secret super secret Delta Force SEAL Team 6 thing. And I, you know, if you know anything about SEAL Team 6... SEAL Team 6 has a target, they go find the target, they kill the target, or capture the target, and then they leave. It's the same story over and over and over again. I I wanted to sort of expand the mission and expand their profile and expand the kind of stories we could do with them. So that was sort of my motivation there. Um, And I was sort of super, and I I was super happy with, with, uh, with the two arcs I did, but I sort of ended up deciding that I did... I did pretty much everything I could and wanted to do with the franchise in the, that year's worth of stories. So, and I was sort of being offered things that I really couldn't turn down, so I kind of had to step away from that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, <clears throat> so, speaking of one of those things that you got offered. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, for folks who might not know, uh, Dynamite is uh, taking over the infamous uh, Gold Key series, um, one of which, Magnus the Robot Fighter, you are going to be writing for them. Yes, he's in your... Uh, Magnus the, Robot Fighter. The, the big Sorry. announcements from, uh, from New York Comic Con that came out. Um, you know, how, how long was... You know, did, were you aware of that, or, or you know, were kind of involved in that conversation? Um, I know those characters have been out there for a while, and a lot of us wondered, like, what the hell was going to go on with them. Um, right and and you know what do you what do you what can you tell us about the relaunch? It's super exciting. You know, it's great to be working with my buddy Greg Pack again. Uh, Mark Wade, who I worked on Spider Man with, um, and Frank Barbieri is a great new talent uh, who's doing Solar. Um, you know, it was just very fortuitous. I happened to be going out with Nick Cosby, the editor of the line, when he was offered everything. Like he had just gotten, like he literally got off the phone with Dynamite and then came and met me. And so he was asking me about the characters, and I sort of rattled off, you know, what I knew about all of them. And I sort of got enamored with this idea of Magnus to update the situation of robot fighting, both <laughs> philosophically and fighting wise. Now, 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 just talking shit. It's late. It's late here in, in New York City. Um, but. Uh, uh, no, I, I wanted to update it because so much there's been such a huge advance in cybernetics and robotics and artificial intelligence, even when Valiant was doing Ro- Magnus Robot Fighter in the 90s, that it would be fun to sort of incorporate all of that into a series that really explored the question of what is the real, what is authentic, what is human, um, which sounds very pretentious, but is awesome, and involves lots of karate chopping robots' heads off which is what you want from a Magnus comic. Um, yeah, that's... It's, it's important. It's important. Uh, well, but, uh, yeah, so... Ma- sorry. Yeah. No, this is a bit ridiculous. Right? One and only encounter, really, with Magnus Robot Fighter is finding a stash of Magnus Robot Fighter comics in my husband's basement that his dad okay. never opened up. And all we could... We were just started laughing hysterically just based on the name of the comic. But, like, so there's a human... And he punches robots. Yes. And they have no idea. My hand hurts thinking about this. I, I'm sure that there's more to the concept, but, like, it's just hilarious. It, it, it's lovely. It's wonderful. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, celebration of 
the idea that even though it does not logically make sense, there's something wonderfully liberating about thinking flesh, bone, and skin just pop somebody's, some robot's head off, you know? If you could be that well-trained in martial arts, that you would know the exact weak point on a robot, that you could hit it and it would explode, that would be awesome. And that's exactly what Magnus can do. But Magnus is in a world in which robots have completely taken over humans, uh, a, a world in which the technology is so advanced it's very hard to tell robots from humans that Magnus can do that. And uh, robots claim to have taken over humans for humans' own good. Some humans agree with this. Some robots agree with this. Some robots don't agree with this. Some, hu- some humans don't agree with it. So it is a very morally complex universe Magnus finds himself in. And, uh, and his mission to sort of quote-unquote liberate humanity may not be what he thinks it is either. So there's a lot the, – the fun part of the book – I don't want to give too much away, but part of the fun part of the book is the world itself and how it unfolds. And Corey Smith, the artist, with his designs of the robots and, the, and North Am, which is the city where the, where the book takes place, is just really mind-blowing. And uh, he's going to be stolen from this book by one of the big two companies <laughs> as possible. I know that for a fact because it's just gorgeous, and uh, we're all just having a super mad of fun with it. I mean, there's, so there's been a, a few times that the series has come out. I mean, Golki had it, Valiant had it, Acclaim had it. Right. Um, you Dark know Horse. what? Dark Horse now. Yeah, Dark Horse had it. Uh, now Dynamite has it. You know what uh, would it share? What what is it going to share with you know the predecessors other than you know the title and its location, Northam? Um, and you know what might be a bit different. Very little. I mean, I would say it's a similar to the original. Magnus Robot Fighter as Brain Boy is the original Brain Boy. I mean, both Brain Boy and Magnus sort of came out of the same early 60s milieu. Um, there are a lot of names and concepts that are the same. Um, the Valiant series actually was a was billed as a direct continuation of the original Gold Key series. The original Gold Key series is actually excellent. It was written and drawn by a guy named Russ Manning, who was super talented. And a lot of those comics... As kids' comics, as kind of more innocent comics from more innocent time, really hold up really well today. But uh, you know, the the readership for comics is skewed a bit older now, and so what we're trying to do is in, inject some more sophistication in there. So, uh, and you know, we now live in a world where you know technology is just so integrated in our lives, we sort of think of it as inescapable. And uh, one of the insidious things about the world of North Am is that. Robots have so taken over humanity, and they're so good at it, is humanity does not realize they've been enslaved. Like, they have no idea. And so Magnus initially is sort of seen as a terrorist, because he's sort of saying, I'm going to smash your smartphone. And they're like, fuck you, I like my smartphone. <laughs> you know, what's your problem? Uh, you know, the, the, uh, a lot of the series is about, you know, what it means to be human. The, the robots have a religion that says they need to be as human as possible. Um... And uh, Magnus is trying to sort of save the robots from that. And, uh, and uh, you know, who, what is the real you? Is the real you, you you are with your family or your coworkers? When you're dealing with uh, the public clients, is the real you when you post on Facebook? Isn't there something you hold back on Facebook or Twitter or wherever it is that you do your social media? Uh, we all have these sort of multiple guises that we conduct in our daily lives which are not necessarily, you know, done for some sinister purpose. But uh, when you start clinging to this concept of authenticity, you sort of have to ask who's authenticity and what for. And, and that sounds very high-fluting, but, you know, there will be Magnus karate chopping robots' heads off, which is well, really important. It goes with a, a question I kind of want to ask about. Like, are you just focusing on, like, the actual physical robots or the bigger idea that, you know, there's all this data that the robots have and yeah. you know, there's an Internet that connects it all and, right. um, you know, yeah. that, that there, bigger concept of FISA-type stuff that, you know, they're right. keeping records on everyone? Right. Well, you know, the robots – well, I won't say that. That's a spoiler. Um, <laughs> how to phrase this correctly spoiler. without spoilers. Spoiler. Um, spoiler. Um, uh, you know, I would say that the, yeah, I mean, a, a difference between the older series and now is that there are artificial intelligences that are not necessarily 
linked to any particular robot body. Magnus was raised by one such artificial intelligence, 1A, which is sort of a holdover from the original series. But, but the 1A in this version is much different and scarier and creepier and more paternal and both more and less human at the same time. How's that for a totally vague answer? <laughs> it Very well. Well done. Uh, so I have to, I have to ask this because we we have a, a focus on politics in the, the show. Uh, so you did a comic cool. or you tried to do a comic uh, for I think the SPX ninety nine uh, okay. magazine called Right Wing a Real sure. American Hero. No, we didn't uh, try. We did it. We did it. Was it it? It was a, well. It was a mini comic. We didn't do the it mini comic like yeah. anthology or anything. Yeah. Was it? The, was it the ninety nine SPX? See, I I think I have that in a and, box somewhere. And, I need to go there. Everyone should know. Everyone should know. You can read that for free online. Yep. If you At. go to fredmilling.com and click, I guess it's backslash white right wing or something. But anyway, if you click what I write, the link that says what I write, you'll go right to it. Uh, now I have to da- uh, drag out the comic to go see if I have the issue because I think that's too awesome. Uh, so one, where did the concept come about? Because it's really really funny. And two, are we going to get more? Two, no. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> uh, there's only so long I can inhabit a right-winger's brain before my own <laughs> brain starts to rot. Uh, what well, have it come about? You know, it's funny. Um, okay, I'm actually going to the thing here. Okay, so it is fredvillainty.com backslash rightwing.html, so that's pretty straightforward. But if you go to fredvillainty.com, you can find it pretty easily. Um we, Steve and I, we started this tradition, I started this tradition when going to SBX to do mini-comics that satire different kinds of comics. Um, it's very exciting to hear you talk about Right Wing because the second one we did was super huge and is the only one, ever, one anyone, anyone ever talks about and leaves poor Right Wing in the dust, which is the following year we did a Jack Chick track comic. Oh. That was a that was actually a Jack Chick tracked comic for Cthulhu. You yes, can also get that wonderful. at com. And so people love that. One of the biggest thrills ever was that someone who discovered it and retreated everywhere last year was William Gibson, who's definitely a huge influence on me. So that was very flattering. Um, but uh, yeah, so Right Wing was just this gag. You know, it was the it was I guess. It was 99, right? So I guess Bill Clinton had just been impeached, so I was all pissed off, and we decided to do a satirical superhero comic. And so uh, that was a kind of comic we satired. The second year was, uh, like I said, this Jack Chick comic, which was called Why We're Here. And the third year, Steve wasn't available, so Ryan Dunleavy and I did a satire of a com- of those little comics that you used to find, like He-Man action figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, except we did it for Nietzsche. Oh. The gag was it was a little comic that came with your Nietzsche, your Friedrich Nietzsche action figure. It was called Action Philosophers, and that became a huge hit. And sort of is what I'm. I'd say it's primarily what I'm known for, but it definitely would be in the top three. So satirizing different kinds of comics worked out really well for me, and <laughs> and Right Wing uh, was the first one. Well, I think my new catchphrase is going to be "Holy Flatjacks." <laughs> Man, I've not looked at this thing in years. It was funny. Yeah, was, I was Steve really kicked really ass funny. on this one, and Steve going... did the silencers, and we're sort of talking about doing something right now. And he was my best bud in college. I see him at conventions all the time. I think I'm pretty sure, sure I've gone drinking with him a few times. I could, I believe uh, it. <laughs> uh, so, all right, damn, no, no more. I was really hoping for a follow up or two. You know. The other thing is, is that the sad thing is when you satire is, is some people did think I was a right, I mean, in all seriousness, like flat family members well, I thought I was like a right wing nut, and I was like, no, you just what? Oh yeah, some people just they can't, they don't get sarcasm. So, uh, but, yeah. So, but well, lines include, "Look how the sun glints off is perfect from buttocks." Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, ah, the some people are unaware of my presence. Some people, I think, are just inclined to always err on the side of believing everything they're told. And well, there's a whole thing in your presence. of right-wingers believing that Stephen Colbert is actually conservative and that it's oh, not that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, sadly, I totally believe that. <laughs> uh, well, nice. 
Um, I think we covered everything. That was a hell of a lot. Um, it's a good thing. Yeah, and we're coming up right on the 11 o'clock hour, so it's, it's like almost perfect timing. Um, so before we wrap up, I mean, uh, uh, it's, it's time for you to plug stuff. Uh, you know, where can people follow you? Where can they get Has stuff? Has this been the whole thing? <laughs> uh, now, now yeah, really- sure. Uh, Brain Boy is available right now. The third issue um, will be coming out this month. We touched on Conan the Black Circle, the second of which second issue of which will be out in November, and my run, I think, starts in February, maybe March. Anyway, keep Brian, buying Brian's book, and when his book mm-hmm. ends, my book then immediately starts. Uh, and what else did we talk about? Uh, Archer, Armstrong. Archer Armstrong is ongoing from Valiant. Uh, G.I. Joe, I'm on until the end of the year. And uh, I Magnus. Yeah. And Magnus, thank you. Magnus starts, I believe, in March. All right. And uh, if people want to follow you, where can they find you online? Uh, the best place to follow my various shenanigans is at on Twitter, where you, I'm just Fred Van Lente. Um, I post sort of major news items and various random things at fredvanlente.com. Um, I'm on Facebook. Do not send me Facebook mail. I hate Facebook mail. <laughs> it's very hard to manage. My mother-in-law will not hear this, so she will continue mm-hmm. to send me Facebook mails. It's okay. I love her. It's all right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. On t- I'm a big tweeter, so Twitter's good, and, and the website's good, too. Cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, we covered a lot, and it was, it was a lot of fun. My pleasure. Terrific discussion. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you a ton. No problem. Good night. Yep. Night. Cool. I always get afraid that I'm going to, like, click off the wrong person. Uh, <laughs> that was really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to ask about the right wing. I think the right wing is, like, it's too funny. Uh, but there, So the thing yeah, I was saying was... Funny. I definitely give it a read. Like, I finally brought uh, all my comics from my parents down to D.C. Um, like, got booted, basically, from their basement. So we had to move... Ten long boxes, something like ten long boxes, and there was two boxes. I was going through it because I had to do it in two trips, and I found in there the SPX ninety nine book that this was in. And I mean, I've been going to SPX for the last four, five, six years since I've been in DC, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" I didn't even know I had this book, um, not even realizing what it was for. So I mean, it's just like a really weird circle of everything coming together on that. Um, plus, Steve Ellis, I almost positive men drinking with a few times. Um, yeah, small world, weird world. And he's, he's a guy, he's like at every convention, it seems like. I always see him around. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm sure you've had very little time to go and read comics this past week. I'd imagine you're a bit busy with other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm rather behind in my comics because I've been getting married. But there was a whole lot of superhero business, let me tell you, in our ceremony, so... Cool. Well, I don't think I've had a very, very comics week, even though I haven't really read any new comics this week. Well, how about we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Um, I, I saw you t- uh, posted up about Steven Universe. I, too, taped it. Um, so I absolutely want to watch it. Um, and I have a feeling we'll both want to dissect the first issue and rave about it. And we'll figure out uh, what else we can cover the following week. Sounds good that- to me. Cool. All right. So that definitely sounds like a plan. Um, so cool. So we're going to wrap up a little early. We usually go late, so this is not a bad thing. Um, so it wraps up another episode of Graphic Policy Radio. Um, you can find us every single day bringing the news at graphicpolicy.com. And we want to thank again our guest, Fred Van Lente, um, and Alana for uh, taking over in the beginning of the show while my technology just sucked um uh, fred he's a great writer definitely should check out stuff archer armstrong is hilarious uh magnus i'm, I'm sure is gonna be cool gi joe is a nice spin from the 80s and you know of course conan and brain boyer classics redone so um really cool there uh for graphic policy you can catch us on social networks facebook youtube twitter pinterest and wherever else it's all like graphic policy we keep it pretty simple um, and tomorrow is election day for a couple states. Um, do your civic duty and get out there and vote. Um, don't leave your 
ID out in your superhero altar costume. Uh, make sure to bring it with you so no one gives you crap about voting. Uh, stand up for your rights and, you know, get educated, find the candidates you want, pull the pull levers and, and do some good, do your civic duty. So uh, until next week, I'm Brett. And I'm Ilana. And have a geeky week.